0: you are listening to the next best picture podcast and this is our review of battle of the sexes and our interview with the composer of that film academy award nominee nicholas bretel anyone else like to share how about you in the back with the glasses sir my name's bobby and i am an addict hey bobby, Bye, bobby. you know you folks aren't here because you're gamblers you are here because you are terrible gamblers. Okay, Bobby. These folks don't need to stop doing what they're doing. They just need to get better okay. at it. Who's All dealing? Right, Bobby, please. Who's that? Hello? Eureka, Billy Jean! It's Bobby Riggs. I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy leg feminist. You're still a feminist, right?
1: I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. Don't hang up. And by the way, I shave my legs.
0: Billie Jean King, already a champion of women's rights, is now the most successful female player of all time.
1: I am not saying that women don't belong on the court. Who would pick up the balls otherwise? Oh my God.
0: There's not a single thing I don't hate about Bobby Riggs. You know what I'm doing? I'm cooking. I'm cooking. I won the triple in Wimbledon. I could beat Billie Jean King. Does she have to know? Call Bobby. Tell him All right, everyone. You were just listening to the trailer for Battle of the Sexes, and the story is as follows. The 1973 tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs became the most watched televised sports event of all time. Trapped in the media glare, King and Riggs were on opposite sides of a binary argument, but off court, each was fighting more personal and complex battles. With her husband urging her to fight for equal pay, the private King was also struggling to come to terms with her own sexuality while Riggs gambled his legacy and reputation in a bid to relive the glories of his past. The film is starring Emma Stone, Steve Carell, Sarah Silverman, Bill Pullman, Alan Cumming, Elizabeth Shue, Austin Stowell, and Eric Christian Olsen. It is directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris and written by Simon Beaufoy. Joining me for this review, I have Tommy Barquinero. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. Very happy to have you back on, sir. Um, and also, too, everyone, stay tuned for after this review. Uh, I will be conducting an interview with the composer of this film, N- Academy Award nominee now, Nicholas Britell. So after Tommy and I dish our thoughts out on Battle of the Sexes, be sure to stay tuned for that. So, yes, Tommy, with that said, let me toss it over to you first. What did you think of Battle of the Sexes?
2: Yes. Well, you know, I really love this movie. Um, It's one of the most fun, eminently watchable experiences I've had uh, so far this year. And I think it really excels at being two different movies. On the one hand, you know, it's a moving character study about Billie Jean King, you know, about uh, the awakening of her sexual identity, about her status as a champion for uh, women's rights and LGBT rights. Uh, You know, that I think is the most effective part of the film. And it's you know features a fantastic performance from emma stone uh, on the other hand it's also a very entertaining take on kind of this incredibly silly spectacle a battle of the sexes and i say silly solely because of bobby riggs you know very goofy personality uh, played very well by steve carell and that is kind of the funny uh, entertaining uh, side of the movie and so i i love both aspects of it and uh i really think it's uh, one of the
0: most fun experiences uh, at the movies this year Yeah, when you say it's one of the most fun experiences at the movies this year, it is certainly a crowd pleasing one. I can definitely give it that. Like, I was thinking about it the other day in terms of its best picture potential in this year's Oscar race, this almost feels like the help to me. Right. Or the blind side. If this film does well at the box office and, you know, really takes off with audiences, I I, I have a feeling that this film could really be uh, what those films were in their respective years as well. However, there seems to be a little bit of a divide right now where audiences are not really responding um, overall to this film. And it's weird because they really should. I mean, great performance from Emma Stone in this. In my opinion, better than her work in her Academy Award winning performance in La La Land last year. Yeah. Steve Carell is entertaining, like you said. He's comedic, and he definitely has a couple of ridiculous uh, you know, laughs and goofs in here. I mean, the technical elements are all there. Cinematography by Linus Sangren, also associated with La La Land. There's a lot of La La Land crew in this. Production yeah. designer, costume designer, so on and so forth. Um, Nicholas Bertel, uh, who did the score for Moonlight last year, doing the score for Battle of the Sexes. And it it just seems like all the elements are there. But I couldn't quite shake off why this film was not fully working for me as it should have. I I like it. I really like it. Mm -hmm. And then it finally dawned on me, Tommy. Yes. This film was made during the time when the directors, the cast, everybody involved – probably thought hillary clinton was going to become the next president of the united states yeah i think that's the assumption we were all making <laughs> and i can't help but feel like while i was watching this the film you could look at it two ways you could either look at it from a very um hopeful optimistic point of view or from a negative cynical pessimistic point of view and i think i viewed it through the second lens rather than the first was my, my issue
2: that's interesting you know I think you know the fact that Trump is president now you know kind of exemplifies the importance of the themes that the movie is discussing
0: though and I think that hundred percent oh if it, yeah. yeah it's it's a it's a double argument here to be made where on one hand you're a hundred percent right the themes feel so much more important than ever before right but on the flip side of that I could not because it's leaning in too closely to that and the film has kind of that bittersweet feeling um afterwards or at least that's the way I interpreted yeah. it yeah uh, i it was very very hard for me to separate the reality from the film overall um I, and believe me, I did the best that I possibly could like literally the best right um I tried to. Recontextualize it, think about it. I talked about it with a bunch of people. This film is, I think, if you're really plugged into what's going on in current times, I think it's impossible to view this film as a standalone film and not create those ties to our current political landscape.
2: Yeah, and I definitely understand, you know, kind of the bittersweet reaction you're talking about, because on the one hand, you know, this is a movie. Uh, about a very strong woman and Billie Jean King, who you know fearlessly took on this misogynistic culture, and you know as you say, one can't help but think of the recent setback we had in which Hillary Clinton did the same thing, and you know we fell short uh, as a country. At the same time, though, I think the ending of the film, which you say is bittersweet, and I agree with that, it does kind of parallel our current moment uh, because. You know, I don't think I'm giving anything away here. It's based on true events. But at the end of the film, you know, Billie Jean King has scored a victory in a sense. You know, she's defeated uh, Bobby Riggs. Uh, She's asserted her uh, strength, uh, you know, both on and off the court at the same time, though. And, you know, the character played by Alan Cumming tells her this at the end of the film, you know, there's still a lot of battles to be fought you know she's still living in a world in which it's not fully accepted to come out as gay publicly Mm -hmm. and she's still dealing with a lot of that inner torment and you know fighting against these social uh prejudices and in a way um you know that's kind of where we are as a country so i think
0: uh it it's definitely a piece of art that parallels what's happening right now now that is the most interesting part of the movie for me Take away the ties to the current political landscape. Focus on the character, Billie Jean King. And I think this movie works so freaking well when they are really, really honing in on her inner turmoil and her struggle and the complexity of her situation given that you know, she is sexually attracted to women. And she has this very tender and beautiful uh, relationship with um, the character's name is uh, Marilyn in the movie and she's played by, and I'm going to butcher her last name. I really yeah. apologize. <laughs> uh, it's a- Andrea Risenborough. I think that's correct. Uh, Risenborough. Yes. Okay. Very good. Some people may recognize her from Birdman. Uh, she's been in quite a, uh, a couple other projects as well. When the film takes uh, the time to establish their relationship and really focus in on Emma Stone's headspace and the character that she's portraying, this film is just, oh, this film really pops for me. There's this really great scene where she goes to get a haircut, and it might be one of the most memorable scenes I see in uh, the cinema this year, shot in extreme close-ups, edited at a very, very deliberate pace, In such a way that it just has this very, very, very smooth flow to it. And the music is very atmospheric and beautiful. And you're focusing on their eyes and the soft voices of uh, the dialogue that they're saying to each other. I I mean, it's really, really beautiful work there. And this is why I think that... The performance that Emma Stone gives in this movie I think is better than her work in La La Land is because I feel like her character she she has to not only do the physicality of the actual, you know, sport of tennis, but she also has to portray a character that is A more interesting and B has a wider range of emotions that are actually very hard to communicate to the audience because they're so internal uh, but I got I got all of it though I, it all came across in her performance for me and that was the area that I thought the film shined the brightest.
2: I agree. You know, that's that's a fantastic scene that you talk about in the hair salon, and much of it, you know, nonverbal. There's not a lot of
0: dialogue in that scene, at least from uh, Billie Jean King's perspective. And- yeah, because she's nervous. She doesn't really, like, n- almost know what to say to her. And, there- and she's nervous too, you know, Marilyn. So there's, like, this kind of awkward but tender vibe between them that's just so. Oh, I just love it! I, I, I was rooting for both of them so bad <laughs> while watching this. <laughs> um, me too. And, you know, I was actually surprised. I had high
2: hopes for the film, but it was marketed, you know, in its trailers as very much a film about the tennis match, uh, Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, and a significant chunk of the movie is devoted to Billie Jean King's inner torment, her relationship with uh, Andrea Riseborough's character, and it's just beautiful stuff. And I think Emma Stone, a case can be made that she is the best actress of her generation. Uh, I think it's really fantastic work. Uh, Andrea Riseborough is great as well. Uh, So it's definitely the strongest uh, aspect of the movie. And I was also impressed, you know, when they introduce Billie Jean King's husband, mm. you almost anticipate at that point that the movie's going to hit a lot of familiar notes. You know, maybe yeah. the husband will prove himself to be kind of nasty in his response toward Andrea R- Riseborough's yeah. character. And while there is kind of an element of that, I think the movie treats that dynamic in a very tender way. It's fair
0: to all characters and it, it kind of avoids the cliche of the love triangle that we have come to expect. If anything, the love between those two characters, her husband and her, is stronger than most marriages that are out there because of how much that he supports her. I mean, that really, really, really took me by surprise. And I was very, very pleased with that choice. However, it does have a ripple effect on the overall film that did hurt it in the end, Um, and I'll tell you what it is, because maybe you didn't feel the same way that I did. Mm -hmm. I felt that once they eliminated that aspect of the film, oh, he's going to find her out, he's going to find out that she's been having this affair, and it's going to blow up in her face, and it's going to be dramatic, and they're going to have this big falling out scene. When the film does not do that, it actually robs the film of all of its emotional stakes because you're watching this. And I would say more than 70% of the people who go into this film know that she wins the tennis match. Mm-hmm. So I ask you then Tommy, where is the suspense and where are the stakes then at that point? So,
2: yeah, I would disagree with that for me, the emotional stakes weren't so much about who wins the match. You know, as you say, we know, who, uh, You know how that will play out and it really i didn't draw suspense from you know the husband finding out about her relationship with the hairdresser for me the source of drama and what makes the film so heart-wrenching is what we've already discussed and that's Billie jean king's you know kind of personal torment search for happiness uh you know looking for an opportunity to come out publicly as her true self and i think the movie works beautifully as a, a character study and it's smart enough to know that it doesn't need to drum up, you know, unnecessary suspense by kind of emphasizing the angle of the husband discovering the relationship. I think it's more subtle than that. And if I, I had to pinpoint this film and select a single genre, I'd probably say, you know, it's a subtle character study about Billie Jean King. Yeah. So that's where I I took satisfaction from the film.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I it's interesting because I I put out a poll this week on uh, female-led sports films, and right. I was very appalled by how few there are right i actually did not know that um when i went to go put the poll together and when i tried looking for films out there i was like this is it right like i couldn't believe it and so i'm happy that this film exists and i wanted to do well mostly because a i like the movie and b um I want Hollywood to greenlight more female-led sports films. Absolutely. I feel like we don't often see women's softball, women's basketball, women's like anything, really. It's always about men's sports uh, because sports are most associated with men, but this film is really all about that, you know, that yeah. that battle, hence, you know, the battle of the sexes. So I, I think that this film is very important. I think that it has a rightful place. Um, it just sucks that it had to come out now. I feel like if this film came out like a year ago, this film would have resonated even more strongly than I, it has now. I don't know. It, I, it's a very tricky film because it is so of the moment mm-hmm. that depending on who you ask, they'll either, they'll either have the, the viewpoint that I have that pessimistic bittersweet right feel or they'll be hopeful and inspired by it and they'll say well you know what hillary clinton lost donald trump in the election but you know the fight's not over and you know the fight's still continuing and this doesn't mean that we should give up and it's all about making little small steps of progress along the way you know or however you want to interpret it from that idealistic hopeful sense. I mean, yeah,
2: I come across I come uh, down on the the more hopeful side. Um, you know, in the, my counter argument to your uh statement about, you know, the movie would be better received if it came out last year, I think there might be a segment of the audience who might have not even focused on the themes that the movie's addressing simply because uh they probably foreshadowed, you know, easier times ahead and it's easier to overlook the uncomfortable truths that the movie is presenting. I think now you can't help but grapple with it. I think that's an asset for the movie. But, you know, as a standalone work, I think it, it, it holds strong as well. It's a very moving film, even, you know, when you take it out of the context uh, in which
0: it's released. You know what? Point to you, sir. All right? I, uh, <laughs> I, I actually, you know, I think I stand corrected. That very good argument you just made there. Oh, thank you. Now, in terms of the Bobby Riggs character, because one thing I didn't fully expect with this movie was I was expecting Steve Carell to be a caricature, which he is a lot of the time. I wasn't expecting this Bobby Riggs backstory and for the film to kind of divide itself, you know, 60% Emma Stone, 40% Steve Carell. And we really got an insight into who the man Bobby Riggs is beneath this whole show he was putting on for everybody. Right. Did you like this? Did you feel it was balanced properly against Emma Stone? Did you feel it was necessary? So, yeah, I like the fact that the movie focused more on Billie Jean King,
2: uh, you know, in part because I think the film is most effective when uh, it showcases uh, Billie Jean. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but so I like the way they balanced it. I think that, they do a great job with Bobby Riggs, although at the end of the film, to me, he's still kind of of an enigma. And I think that's a deliberate, uh, you know, attempt by the movie to not really try to make a statement about who he really is. And what I mean by that is, like you said, you know, Bobby Riggs is putting on a show and he certainly is. And, and Steve Carell does a great job at, you know, playing up Bobby Riggs' larger than life personality, these outrageous offensive statements he's making. But it is unclear, you know, how much of this does he really believe clearly in his Private life, you know, the scenes he has with uh, his wife. He's in a struggling marriage. He comes across as a far more sensitive figure, uh, but you know, his public statements still beg the debate. You know, to what extent do the ends justify the means? You know, he might be doing these things simply to advance his career. Uh, you know, maybe he doesn't believe anything he's saying, but it's still very problematic that he's going out there and you know, making the case that men are always stronger. Uh, you know, I'm going to defeat any uh, female athlete. And I think that's to the film's credit that it kind of, you know, plays up that complexity with Bobby Riggs and Steve Carell does a great job at showing that.
0: Well, you know what it is, is basically he's a failure as a family man. And he feels that you know, if he goes back to his glory days and what he feels like he really excelled at, which was the sport of tennis, uh, he might be able to bring some fulfillment to his life. What we find out at the end of the film is that there is a lack of resolution there, like you were saying before. And I think the film kind of cheats us a little bit by not providing that so much for him at the end Mm -hmm. because they do invest so much time in him um, that I actually was very curious to know – how did everything end? And, you know, there there is an ending that is provided, but I, I personally just found it a little bit more unfulfilling. But uh, the contrast piece of it, though, that I found most interesting was here's a guy who is embracing the type of person that everybody says that he is. Oh, Bobby, you're this and you're that and you're wild and yada, yada, yada. And he's free to be able to go out there on public television and portray this side of himself for the world to see and emma stone is absolutely not yeah instead she has to be a symbol she can't be herself and i found that to be also a very very interesting look at the film from its unique time period and also too i started questioning if that's also where we also are a little bit more so today but i i i, I think the answer to that question is women are able to be um more so individuals. They, you know, the rights that they're uh, fighting for, uh, still makes them symbols overall. Uh, but they're definitely allowed to freely express themselves a hell of a lot more in today's society than in, uh, what year was this? 1973. Was it? I think so. So somewhere around there. Yeah. You know, Emma stone can't come fully out in 1973 today. She probably could, you know, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know if that would fly with things like running for public office or, you know, whatever the case may be. But in the sports world and everything else, I mean, it it all depends on where you're really at. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the weird thing is that as a nation, we have this idealistic sense that this would still be accepted. Uh, at least I do. I'd like to think that, you know, Billie Jean King, if she was... Um, you know, who she is in this movie in today's world, uh, you know, at at, um, at whatever age she was in this film, in present day, I would like to think that that is something that would be, you know, headline grabbing and give her all this attention. And, you know, it would be really, really fantastic for her. And she would be able to help propel these uh, women's rights issues that, you know, like equal pay in sports and whatever else it was that she was fighting for here. I would like to believe that. But then there's also that part of, God, we're just not unified as a nation, you know, to get behind right. that, unfortunately. Um, it's right. it, it, To me, it's such an interesting film to talk about with people because there are so many ties to, like you said, and it, and it does feel timely. It feels relevant. It, it just feels, while you're watching it, so important. And this is why, like, the best picture conversation – I really do believe that all it needs is strong box office and it's in because when you start talking about these parallels and these ties, how how, how does this film not get a Best Picture nomination? I, I think it has a good chance as
2: well and I really like what you uh, brought up about the double standard in terms of what Bobby Riggs was able to get away with uh, as opposed to Billie Jean King. And while – you know, we have made a lot of progress. I think that double standard is still very much uh, pervasive in our society. You know, somebody like Bobby Riggs can go out there and say outrageous things. You know, he might not believe them; It doesn't matter. He says outrageous things. Everyone has a laugh. But if Billie Jean King tried the same tactic, no matter how pure her motives might be, uh, there would, of course, be all this sexist outrage directed at her. Um, And you know, I have a former colleague who I used to work with, and I saw a quote she put up uh, on Facebook the other day, and it said, you know, your intent does not absolve your impact. And I think that's very profound, and to me it, it applies toward uh, what Bobby Riggs did, and I think the film shows this. You know, his intent may have been uh, innocent, you know, all in good fun, and certainly uh, the movie shows that. But his impact was, you know, at the Battle of the Sexes match, there's thousands of people, you know, holding... You know, very offensive, sexist signs, you know, rooting for him to uh, take down Billie Jean King. So I think the film raises uh, some important questions about that double standard and about, you know, how forgiving we should be when, you know, a male public figure tries these uh, flamboyant tactics, uh, no matter what their motives
0: might be. Huh, uh, huh. You mean like our current day president? Who I think so. Yeah. To <laughs> bring people out of the woodshed and bring the worst out in people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, where were all these people before? <laughs> You know, they were silent because they didn't have somebody in power that they felt like they could be protected behind. So, Absolutely. Oh, oh,
2: God. And that's another great character, by the way, uh, Bill Pullman's character. Jack Kramer. Jack Kramer, absolutely. And he's one of these, you know, these good old boys who wants to see the uh, sexist power structure stay in place. And, you know, that's a really great uh, supporting character. And. And by the way, as a, uh, on a different note, Bill Pullman, what a year he's having. I'm not sure if you saw the show uh, The Sinner, but I'm in the midst of uh, binging it right now, and he's excellent in that. So it's nice to see him have a great
0: year. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, he'll always be the president from Independence Day for uh, of a course, of, of us, course, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was very interesting to see him in a, in a role such as this. Um, personally, for me, um, while I thought he was fine, I, I just – you know, he he obviously doesn't have a fleshed out character. He's meant to be that single one note um, antagonist, you know, and, right. and that's fine. That's fine uh, because they clearly didn't do that with Bobby Riggs. They went with a more complex uh, character for him, which I really appreciated. Like I was saying before, um, I just don't think the execution was as strong as the complexity behind Billie Jean King's character here. Um, but yeah, Bill Pullman, good for him. I'm <laughs> glad that he's, you know, getting work and. Still doing his thing. Um, on a technical uh, level here, what did you think of cinematography, sound, editing? Um, anything stand out to you here? Yeah.
2: What What stood out to me was the film really captures the look of the '70s. I think the the costume design is outstanding, and right the colors. The colors are so vibrant. Uh, yeah. You know, especially those scenes. Uh, I think there's a few scenes where you know the characters are on the road. I know there's one long sequence with Emma Stone and Andrea uh, Riseborough, and they're uh, the, you know, the top's down, they're driving in, the, in the, the California sun, and you just get that vibe of, you know, vintage 70s. Uh, it, it perfectly captures that look. So that's definitely something that stood out to me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm completely with you on that. I, I think this film looks beautiful. I think it's edited uh, very nicely. It's definitely got – def, it doesn't slog. It never feels poorly paced or anything like that. It definitely yeah. builds momentum. Um, the final tennis match itself was actually, believe it or not, the one area of the film where the pacing kind of slowed down a bit for me, and I think that was because they decided to shoot and present the sequence though as if, like you know, the camera angles are depicting it like from um, at that overhead uh, angled look, like yeah. those if you were actually watching the tennis match like on television. And the serves are, you know, slow. And I just kept saying to myself, like, man, I wonder if they just went in tighter and made the editing more fierce instead of, you know, really drawing it out and, you know, uh, creating, like, a a degree of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here. They're trying to create suspense, but it's just I I just wasn't buying it because, like I was saying before, I I know how this is going to end. So I kind of just wish that that tennis match uh, was a little bit more – Kinetic, I guess you could say.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, I wonder if, you know, the filmmakers might have been thinking, you know, the match itself might have been flat from a, you know, a physical competition standpoint. I mean, you have Bobby Riggs, he's way past his prime. And it was kind of a joke for him to be out there with Billie Jean King. So I wonder, you know, if the filmmakers thought it might have been inauthentic to, you know, show this fierce athletic competition. Uh, I agree with you, though. The cinematography there is not... uh, not that strong, but uh, but there's still a lot of amusing aspects to that sequence, including Howard Cassell. You see some uh, you know archival clips of him, and I never realized uh, you know how blatantly sexist he was during that broadcast. So it, it is still striking to watch.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move over into final thoughts. great out of ten, Oscar potential. Take it away, Tommy. All right, well,
2: Matt, I'm going high on this one. You know, I debated between an eight or a nine. At the end of the day, I just had so much fun at this film. I think it's so moving, and I think a lot more ambitious than people might realize, especially with its focus on Billie Jean King. It it really delves into some emotional territory I wasn't expecting it to. Uh, Great performance from Emma Stone. Uh, I'm going high on this one. I'm giving The Battle of the Sexes a 9 out of 10.
0: Woo! So it's
2: (laughs) one of your favorite films of the year, would you say? It is. uh, As of now, it's going to be in my top 10, and I think it has a good chance to
0: stay uh, that way. Very, very nice. That's awesome to hear overall. Um, do you see this landing any Oscar nominations? So I think its best shot is probably with Emma Stone. Uh, you know, and She's in the honeymoon period.
1: She after is. La La she is
2: yep. And, you know, I certainly can't claim to be uh, an expert prognosticator as you are and our, our colleagues at Next Best Picture. So I have seen uh, a lot of people predicting that she might be uh, – You know, on the outside looking in uh, come uh, nomination time. But from my personal bias, I think it would be really great if she was nominated. So I think Best Actress is probably the film's best chance. Uh, I certainly would not count it out, though, uh, for Best Picture. As you said, I think if this gains momentum, especially with word of mouth, I know it's, you know, opening uh, in more cities each weekend. I think it has a chance at Best Picture uh in terms of the the more technical categories uh, that's your mode of
0: expertise and i'd love to hear what you what you think about that um i could tell you i think that best picture best actress is on the table i think makeup and hairstyling could be on the table yes there's a lot of wigs in this movie <laughs> and it features a hairdresser so it'd be appropriate. yes <laughs> a lot of hairdressing absolutely <laughs> Um, costumes a little iffy they don't normally go for this sort of thing and it's going to be showier work this year cinematography mm-hmm. don't see it happening although um, some really 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 interesting use of colors here tell you the truth and who knows maybe this is maybe this is my own bias in this talking here I think the musical score by Nicholas Patel, um you know when you guys uh, listen to my interview with him we talk a lot about a lot of different tracks. And it would be very, very helpful if you can check out the soundtrack on Spotify or Apple Music when you're listening to my interview with him to play some of those tracks while uh, you listen to the interview so you get an idea of what it is that we're talking about because there is a a lot of stuff really going on in this soundtrack. Um, I mean, the score, rather, like... The way that he utilizes the piano for Billie Jean uh, King's own theme, there's a lot of jazz thrown in there. And then in uh, in the more tender, quieter moments with her and Marilyn, there's very atmospheric, um, very moody, but yet at the same time beautiful, not dark or depressing uh, kind of a mood that is established. And it just – it really comes together very nicely, and then of course there is the song itself. Um, I believe it's called "If I Dare" um, by Sarah uh, Bareilles. Yes, and that's a song that is uh, on the charts right now. That's doing pretty well, and is also on some Oscar um, people's uh, you know radar. I guess you could say. So, I would say song, score, picture, stone makeup and hairstyling is probably the film's best day i can't possibly see anything more than that on a on a realistic level um but that would be fantastic overall i am giving the battle of the sexes i'm giving it a 7 out of 10 which is like for me a 7 out of 10 represents a film that i really like but I don't think it's one of the best films I've seen this year. I will say that it is fringe for me where it's like, this is the very definition of a 7.5. And I really, really consider giving it an eight, but I did have some problems, which I highlighted um, something even Tommy even corrected uh, for me. <laughs> and then also too, there is just this overall feeling that I got while walking away from it. Um, that, it's something that I just can't shake off And I don't know I'm sure I'll get a lot of comments from people Telling me how wrong I am, I'm sure <laughs> and, I'm to- and I'm totally okay with that uh, it, it, it just Something about it just didn't feel right While watching it and when it was all over And I walked out of the theater, it just didn't sit well With me, and uh, that can Be, um, you know Just personal experience uh, You know, warped viewpoint Of the world, whatever You want to call it, um, but I think that there are some also some other elements here that just, like I said, they, they, they don't work as well. It's not a bad movie by any means whatsoever. Uh, it's just not, you know, I'm not giving it a 9 out of 10. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I could, totally see, I could totally see why you would though, Tommy. Yeah, no, that's, I think, you know, bottom line, you
2: know, we like the film uh, yes. at different degrees. You know, I love the movie, but I think we'd both say uh, it's it's well worth your time. If you're listening to this, haven't seen it yet. I would definitely uh, seek it out. I think uh, you'll be very satisfied with
0: it. Yes, we we want it to do well. I I want the film (laughs) to do very well. Um, So I don't want anyone to take my uh, grade of the film and – use that as a way of saying oh i'm a little iffy about this because you know matt neglia or negs whatever you know said no no go out and see this movie this movie is fantastic it is a crowd pleaser so you can unlike mother you can go into this knowing that you're gonna walk out probably feeling great (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) okay all right tommy 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 thank you so much for (laughs) reviewing this film with me tonight where can they find you on the internet?
2: Yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at SirBarQuinero, B as in boy, A-R-Q-U-I-N-E-R-O.
0: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast review of Battle of the Sexes. Stay tuned, though, for we are now going to segue over into my interview with the composer of Battle of the Sexes, Academy Award nominee, Nicholas Britell. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. And joining me today is Oscar nominee, Nicholas Britell. Nicholas,
1: hey. how does it feel
0: to have that title now in front of your name?
1: Uh, it's pretty <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I mean, uh, the past 12, 12 to 18 months have been pretty uh, pretty unreal. And uh, yeah, it's still, it still feels pretty pretty amazing, yeah.
0: (laughs) I can totally understand that. I mean, it was only about a year ago, I want to say, that we had you on and we talked about your incredible work on Moonlight, which still stands as my favorite film score from last year by far. And now, this year... Yeah, no problem. You're back again with um, your work here on Battle of the Sexes, which just opened up in limited release and I had the privilege of catching recently. And I very, very much enjoyed the movie, enjoyed your work on it as well. And it's funny because last year, you know, we're gearing up for the award season. I want to say it was around like October or so, pretty much this time last year. And now here we are again and like you said, you went through this whole like whirlwind of the award season trail, and probably the biggest best picture announcement ever in the history of televised awards, which you were present for, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Because you were at the show. Yeah, you were yes. nominated.
1: I was there. <laughs> so
0: you were up on stage when all of this was happening.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was that all like? That whole experience? Uh, did you have like people coming up to you like Nick? Nick, what what's going on?
1: <laughs> it was yeah, it was really surreal. Um, I we were all you know. It, obviously, the evening was was an incredible celebration of all of these artists and filmmakers and creative people. But at the same time, I think there was certainly this deep confusion <laughs> over what had actually happened. Um, and. None of us ever, you know, that night, none of us really figured out what exactly had taken place. I mean, I remember, um, you know, we were in the audience uh, when Lala was announced and and we were, you know, applauding and everything was was totally uh, normal. And then we sort of, we just got this sense that something was off. There was like extra commotion. And and then when, and then someone turned to me and said, no, you guys won. (laughs) And I was just like, it it was, it's still to me like a complete... Yeah, honestly, the whole night was kind of a blur. I mean, I think yeah. even in in a more normal uh, situation it would have been a blur. But um, but yeah, that I, I think i still trying to unpack everything that happened. But but it was uh, you know it was unbelievable, and and being up on that stage was uh, it was definitely a sort of uh, out of body experience. I think for all for all involved.
0: Yeah, I mean, and now you're, you're, your name's popping up everywhere. It seems like, um, I, I was watching television the other day, or maybe it was, no, maybe it wasn't television, maybe it was YouTube and it was just an ad, like a car commercial ad. And I was like, Oh my God, they're using the score from Moonlight for the music. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like it's yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just, must be just so surreal all around for you.
1: Well, you know, it's, I think for me, I've always, I've always dreamed of getting the chance to write music and, and to have people hear the music. And, um, And I love film. I really do. I've, I've always loved film. Um, I, you know, I can't express enough how honored and, and, and blessed I feel to be able to, uh, do this for a living and to get, and and I feel very lucky to get the chance to work with collaborators like, you know, uh, like Jonathan Dana, Valerie Ferris on, on battle sexes, Mary Jenkins on Moonlight, like Adam, Adam McKay on big, you know, these working, working with people like this, who are just so inspirational, uh, on a daily basis. It's really, um, it's really energizing and exciting. and um, and and one of the you know powerful things with film really is that the way that music interacts with picture um, is is this is a very sort of special, it's a sort of special experience. I think being in a theater and seeing how that all comes together. and and for me, music in a theater, I sometimes enjoy music even more with a movie than outside of a movie. <laughs> you know like there's something there's something about that relationship that really entrances me. Um, and and film is this amazing uh, medium also for people to hear music. Um, I think mm-hmm. there, you know, it's uh, writing, especially if there's, you know, if you're writing music, occasionally that's let's say a more classical uh, idiom. Um, it you know the opportunities for for you know larger amounts of people to hear that music are sometimes more limited. Um, and yet, in the context of a film, you can write all sorts of music and people really hear it and they don't just hear it but they, they experience it so um, so that's some of the stuff that I really love about it.
0: That's amazing and you know I, I want to definitely ask you a little bit more about that, about your collaboration too with uh, Jonathan Dayton and uh, Valerie Farris but I want to first start off by asking in regards to your work on Battle of the Sexes. Sure. Uh, last year we talked a lot about this technique that you used on Moonlight called Chopped and Screwed mm-hmm. and um, I was hoping that if you could, for those who don't know, if you could uh, tell our listeners uh, what this method entails and you know i don't have the best ear necessarily for music i'm not a composer myself um if you used it all again on your work on battle of the sexes at all
1: well chopped and screwed uh is a technique it's actually a technique used um uh, primarily in in uh, a, a it's a genre of southern hip-hop where you take a track uh and you actually take the audio itself so you literally take the recording and you slow it down so you can imagine Uh, let's say you're just playing a record on a record player and you just are spinning the record more slowly. Um, What's going to start to happen is the pitch is going to go down when the speed goes down. Uh, And so you get the, like a lower, deeper, more enriched sound. It's like if you, you know, it's like when you hear someone, like if you heard someone talking and, you know, sometimes there's that effect of like falling asleep in a movie and you hear and like someone's voice starts deeper, you know, that kind of like effect. But imagine that with music, and, uh, so in chop and screw music, you actually like the, the, the audio is deeper and lower and more enriched and you hear things more, you, you actually like, it's like it's stretched out. Um, and Barry and I on Moonlight, we first talked about this cause Barry loves chop and screw music. And there was this idea of, well, what if we did that to classical music? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, on Moonlight, I would actually write, write and record my own music and then I would take those recordings and I would slow them down and I would, and, and, and they would get pitched down. And so you would actually hear this, you know, you'd almost be creating a a lower frequency range in which the music can exist lower than instruments might normally be playing, you know, a, a, a double bass. All of a sudden with this technique is like even more of a bass, <laughs> you know, everything just gets more of a sub Yeah. and, um, And, but we, you can do that with, with anything. I mean, you can do that with any audio, you can do that with any recordings. Um, you know, you can, you can, uh, morph the audio. Uh, and we just loved experimenting with it. And with Moonlight in particular, it felt that technique of evolving the music through actually evolving our own original recordings. Um, it felt like it, it, paralleled in some ways with what the storytelling was in Moonlight as well. So I think that's one of the remarkable discoveries that, that we had for ourselves that was so exciting was finding this technique and this sound that felt like it was really part of the fabric of, of the film. With Battle of the Sexes, um, I did not do that. <laughs> um, oh, actually. okay. Um, but, there, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't chop and screw anything in Battle of the Sexes, but I did... Um, you know, I feel you're always learning on different projects and knowing some of those, some of what I've learned from, let's say, The Big Short or Moonlight, um, there are different audio techniques that I utilized in Battle of the Sex, actually, that um, maybe maybe in some ways were inspired by some of those explorations of audio. So, for example, um, we recorded, uh, you know, large orchestra, actually, at times for Battle of the Sexes. The, mm-hmm. the instrumentation over the course of the film, you know, at times it's, it's, it's very quiet, uh, intimate uh, synthesizer and, and, and small ensemble textures. And at times it's, you know, a 79-piece symphony orchestra. And uh, we recorded all of the music with vintage microphones, actually, um, to give oh, wow. this sense of just almost subconsciously that this music was from a different time, as opposed to writing music that felt... Oh, everything feels like it's in 1973. I think we wanted it more to feel like the texture was maybe from 1973, but the music wasn't necessarily, um, you know, forcing you into this, into a box. There, um, so we recorded with vintage microphones. I even treated um, the audio uh, with analog tape effects to give it sometimes that character of recordings from the 70s. Um, and there are places in the score actually where um, uh, I would take sometimes some uh, effects, some production sound from uh, stems from the, the the movie, and I would weave them in. So, for example, in the opening, um, uh, the opening track "Billie Jean" King, at the very beginning of the movie, um, <clears throat> there's sort of a low rumbling whoosh uh, at times in the track. And that whoosh is actually me having taken uh, the actual sound of um, the swinging of the racket. And I've mm. taken that and I've sort of like woven it in uh, to the music there. So, you know, occasionally I sort of do that. I just do it, uh, you know, very sort of naturally in the process. I'm like, oh, what would happen if I did that? <laughs> but um, but it's not, um, you know, as opposed to in Moonlight, that the chopping and string was actually like really a technique of evolution in Uh, Battle of the Sexes, the evolution is actually more of um, the overall instrumentation at times where uh, the music takes on a much larger scope as we approach the match. So you're constantly subconsciously feeling this expanding and hopefully feeling the so the weightiness and the momentousness of of what is about to happen.
0: Yeah, there's a wide variety of styles definitely at play here. Um, there's the complicated piano arrangements um, over the uh, the main titles. It's the Billy uh, Jean King track, and then there's the uh, the slow down. Uh, piano that I noticed that plays um, over the track Bobby Riggs. Um, the most important component uh-huh. overall yep. that I feel uh, throughout the entire score is the piano itself. Something that also was utilized uh, on Moonlight, uh-huh. and another composer who I feel uses very atmospheric tones. Um, and the piano quite well in his, uh, in his music is actually uh, Thomas Newman. Mm. And uh, I was actually curious if he's um, a, a source of inspiration uh, for your style that I feel like I, you know, is slowly starting to uh, develop itself uh, with more work that we're seeing of yours over the, uh, the last couple of years.
1: Well, you know, for me, I love Thomas Newman. By the way, I mean, I think you know, growing up uh, and listening to his scores, I think some of his scores are the, the iconic scores of the past thirty years. You know, thinking uh, <laughs> yeah. out loud with things like Shawshank Redemption, or you know. Um, but uh, I, you know, one of the things for me is I, uh, I've always been a classical pianist. grow you know, since I was five, and uh, the piano itself has always been a, a big source of inspiration for me. Yeah, um, and. You know, uh, at times in certain, you know, in most cases, actually, I, I try not to necessarily write for the piano because um, it's, you know, I love exploring other colors, but one of the fascinating things with film is that certain movies like lead you in certain places and in experimenting with picture and sitting with directors, um, one of the things that happens is you try out different colors. Um, so for example, there was, there was definitely piano in in moonlight, but also I think for us, it was really the violin and the strings that, that resonated as the featured sort of, um, color, let's say instrumentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in battle of the sexes, one of the things that we found was that the piano really, um, it felt like it, it connected with the characters in a way. One interesting thing we did with the piano actually was, um, we would uh, utilize different pianos for each of Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean. So with Bobby, whenever you see Bobby and you hear a piano, it's actually this little upright piano. And whenever you see Billie Jean and you hear a piano, it's actually a nine-foot Steinway concert grand piano. Um, So even in this, there's a sort of musical metaphor there, uh, I think, of how we felt like the sound, Bobby's sound is, a bit more of an insecure sound, actually. It's not as strong a sound. And Billie Jean's sound of the piano is a more beautiful, strong, um, and, uh, and uh, powerful sound.
0: Yeah, I I definitely got the sense of that for sure. And there is uh, the contrast that's very uh, evident. Yeah, uh, we talked earlier about the collaboration process um, with the directors that you work with. In this case, uh, Jonathan Dayton, Valerie Farris, who um, produced a film that many people I'm sure are very familiar with, uh, Little Miss Sunshine and a few others. My favorite piece of music found in the film are actually the more quieter, more intimate tracks that take place during the scenes with Billie Jean King and Marilyn. And I was curious about the conversations mm-hmm. that you might have had with uh, Dayton and uh, Farris in regards to these scenes. Um, and, uh, you know, if you could just talk a little bit about um, the more quieter, um, but yet, like, the, you know, just the overall feeling it was given off. Because I, for one, really felt tremendously affected by those uh, those scenes and those moments.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, uh, I think one of the things that first. Uh, really excited me when I saw the rough cut of the movie um, was the haircut sequence at the beginning. Yes. And I remember uh, in my first conversation with John and Val, uh, you know, I said, don't, I was just like, don't change a thing with that scene because it wore, it's so beautiful. Of course we did end up adding score to it, but you know, um, it was the idea with that was it's hypnotic. There's this sense of um, of intimacy and of, of uh, almost like an altered state of reality, I think, an mm-hmm. altered state of consciousness and, and, and more of a, it's a really emotional uh, uh, place that it takes you. Um, and there was, there's a whole tone through the film. There are these personal moments, um, which, which really contrast with the sort of public spectacle of what's going on. That was what excited me the most, About the movie was this was the inner stories, the interpersonal journeys that Billie Jean and Bobby took, um, and then the fact that those journeys were realized on this incredibly public stage. Um, But but the fact that they focused on this, you know, this isn't just a film about uh, a a very global uh, sports and uh and 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 uh, a story of, uh, of equality, those things are all there, but it's also told through the lens of people's personal uh, struggles and hopes and dreams um and and challenges. So in those moments where we're focusing on the smaller the the the, the more day to day intimacies um the the moment to moment uh connections with a character like between Billie Jean and Marilyn uh the soundscape is very different in the film like you're like you're saying you know it's um it's a uh, i I almost imagine in some of those scenes that i i didn 't want people to even maybe think there was score there or even notice it I just wanted um it to feel like there was just a sense of like almost like a warm like blanket of of music of sound there yeah you know that 's just sort of holding you or caressing you. That's, that was the, the feeling there. You know, it's, it's like this sort of, you know, cocoon of music. Um, and, and it's different colors, you know, there's, there's, uh, some warm analog synth sounds. There's, um, some very soft kind of like, you know, bell kind of like almost like chimes. There's a warm treated piano, um, there are some atmospheric tones that I created. Um, so, and it's, and, but it's very subtle, um, and what's, what was fun actually was the fact that the music you hear in the haircut on that, uh, you know, texture there, um, you then hear a little more distinctly the melody when Marilyn and Billie Jean first kissed, you hear it a little bit more of that melody. And then as Billie Jean's personal story continues, you hear that music a little bit more distinctly each time until you hear it on a cello solo over the orchestra at the end of the match. And then at the moment of victory, it's actually the full symphony playing that melody. Mm. So, you know, there's this kind of like very, you know, you know, it maybe it's subtle, but by the end, it's this huge evolution of her own personal um, feelings that are now being told on this world stage in a way. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 really, I really enjoyed that, uh, those, those soft atmospheres in the film. Uh, and, and we focused on those, you know, just as much as we focused on the larger symphonic colors.
0: Yeah. You know, and th- those larger ones uh, you know, when we talk about getting to the quote unquote battle portion of the film. Yeah. I couldn't help but notice the use of the snare drum. Yeah, um, almost as if uh, it's a commonly used uh, instrument in uh, films of war or uh, going to do battle, let's say, and you know these two people representing uh, sides of a conflict. And it really does feel like the film is building to something that's grander than than the show, quote unquote, that they're putting on for the public. So it makes sense that the score would get to that point where it becomes more grand and more orchestral, with also uh, the layers of the piano theme yeah. that you have uh, developed early on in the film. Yeah, I'm just uh, curious, you know, and just explaining all that and seeing that there is a clear method. To the brilliance on display. Um, were there other um, avenues that you experimented with in terms of the score that you were providing? Uh, was there um, anything in like your initial um, your your initial recordings that you know you tossed away or just played around with?
1: That's a great question. We we thought a lot about the colors and the different instruments. Um, mm-hmm. And and in fact, some of the first conversations that I had with John and Val focused on um, like. You know, whenever you start a movie, there's always this kind of question of what do we do here? <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's, what, what's our approach? What, what is our initial kind of? What's the thesis here that we're going to try to experiment with? You know, because it's really that it, it's a journey. It's it's such an exploration, and over time and over a close collaboration, you you uncover things that as a group feel feel right and feel emotional. You know, and and if it moves you, then you know, and it, and it moves the directors. You you sort of use that and go from there and, and and our initial conversations were um the first idea was well here's a movie set in 1973 um what's a way to approach the, that moment that in time that and how do you have the score sound fresh and unique uh for 1973 like what what is a way to do it where it doesn't fall into the trap that where everything sounds 70s you know yeah. Um, and what is that even, you know? Um, and so what we had an idea of, well, what if I wrote classical music and we recorded it? You know, it, it was uh, orchestrated for a 1970s rock band. So mm-hmm. basically it was classical music played on electric guitars, on electric bass, on drum kit, on electric organ. Um, and interestingly, we we played around with that and there are a lot of elements of the score still are retained in that where um, Bobby Riggs, for example, his theme is played on a, on a small, more of a kind of a small jazz ensemble, but there's still bass, piano, uh, drums. There's the electric organ, which is woven in actually throughout the movie. uh, Very, very quietly. Sometimes it's just an atmosphere in the background. Other times it's a more overt, like what we would call the competition kind of theme uh, that you hear very clearly, for example, at, at certain points in particular in the match. Um, But what we did was we started with this 1970s sort of rock band approach and then said, well, what if we use some woodwind instruments? You know, what would that sound like if I brought in some oboes and clarinets and bassoon and flutes? Um, And what was interesting was the movie kind of immediately responded to that where it just felt, it just felt, interesting and it felt emotional and it felt like it added something to the, the emotional landscape of, of Bobby in particular. And then we said, well, what if we added some strings? Like, what would that do? You know, just to see, Hey, like, what if we had some strings over here? What would that sound like? Um, and eventually we saw that um, the movie responded so strongly to those things. And we realized that there was this possibility of uh, creating a, a, a landscape for the music that is potentially pretty large and which would culminate in that match moment. Um, and I think that the big question then was, you know, where do you, where do you utilize some of those colors uh, and where do you hold back? And so that then brought us into this, that, that conversation of, well, there are these very atmospheric moments and then there are these very kind of more grand moments. Um, but that's how it evolved. You know, it started out as this, you know, almost like classical music on rock instruments and, and, the movie guided us, you know, it's sort of an interesting thing that happened. The movie sort of takes you somewhere and you try things out and, and it tells you somehow what it, what it needs. Um, so, so that's how that evolved actually. It was very much, um, exploring these different instruments and, and, and feeling what worked. So as you mentioned before, the, um, the, uh, the snare and the almost like the marching band drums Mm -hmm. initially, that came from this idea of what if you could sonically almost like imply that, that, you know, later on, right, you know, there's right at the beginning of the battle of the sexes uh, itself. Um, there's this huge marching band, (laughs) you know, that plays this big spectacle moment of music live, uh, in the Astrodome. And I always like doing stuff where, um, you're, there's almost this map of the movie, and you're you're seeding certain ideas early on, where you're almost thinking, well, if we introduce something here, and we, how can we tie different things together? So even at the very beginning of the film, quietly, um, there's there's subtle elements of that drum and that snare uh, and that marching band in the music and it's just very quiet. Um, And over the course of the film, you hear it in different places so that finally when you're at the match, maybe it's almost like there's this memory of that having been a part of the movie and now you're seeing it for the first time.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's phenomenal. That's great. Um, Some tracks I also noticed too on a, on a playback have kind of like a laid back lounge feel uh, to them, such as Manhattan sunset or Uh uh, nighthawks. Yeah. While Dog Tennis uh, yes. feels like it's going to full-fledged jazz mode, which is something that you brought up before. And uh, yes. some people may or may not notice, uh, but you worked a little bit also on uh, a popular film, came out a couple years ago, Whiplash. And uh, I was just curious if you could tell us what it was like uh, maybe going back into that like that jazz-esque mode for some of these tracks.
1: Sure, sure. Um, Whiplash was, was a fascinating experience for me because um, my role – really primarily and Whiplash was I was, uh, one of the producers of the movie. Um, but I did get the opportunity to, uh, you know, really interact a lot with, with Damien and, and, and Justin. Um, and there were a couple tracks. There's a track that I, you know, uh, recorded with Justin, uh, for the soundtrack. So there's, you know, there's, there's pieces of music, um, uh, that, that are in that jazz idiom. And I've always loved jazz. So, uh, the chance to write in different styles is actually one of the things I really love about film music, where you get this opportunity on different projects to explore these different musical worlds. Um, and, uh, yeah, on battle of the sexes, there, there's definitely this sort of, um, smoky jazz band feel, I think was something we were going for in particular, uh, with Bobby Riggs and, uh, the, the, the tracks, um, like Nighthawks, for example, that's actually a, a diegetic track that's playing in the uh, club uh, when uh, Billie Jean goes to confront Jack Kramer. Um, so you're hearing that sort of played on a record player in the background. Um, and then uh, the jazz characteristics you know, come to the fore again in dog tennis where we wanted it to feel like this sort of over-the-top um, uh, blues with you know electric guitar and three clarinets playing and you know like yeah. two drum kits it's, it's kind of crazy uh you know uh sort of a feeling of just like this is a guy playing tennis you know with with, with dogs on leashes you know and he's about <laughs> to win a rolls royce in a bet. so yeah. kind of how do you musically uh you know get, get that going um but um but yeah i think there is that element of jazz uh throughout um and uh and i think it's a interesting contrast in some ways to, uh, the Billie Jean, uh, musical world and the emotional musical world. Cause, um, especially dog tennis, I think is, is really like an extreme of, of that Bobby world. Yeah. Um, and I think it plays, it, it, it's a strong counterpoint to, um, some of the more, uh, you know, sort of the, hopefully like the inner beauty and the, and the strength of, of some of Billie Jean's, uh, uh themes.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting too because, like, like Bobby the character himself, you know, it's it's played very fast and loose, and it's kind of all over the place at times, yep. and it's a really, really great way to really flesh out that character and make the audience feel a certain way about him overall. So, great, great choice uh, overall. And then uh, moving away from the actual score, yeah, no problem. And moving over to um, the main song. Uh, From the film, it's called "If I Dare," and it is sung by Sarah Bareilles. Uh, Could you tell us what it was like working with her and writing uh, that particular song for the film?
1: Sure, Uh, it was an incredible experience to work with Sarah. Uh, She's an amazing musician. Uh, She's a brilliant lyricist. Um, We had always had this dream of could we write an original song for the movie that that you know the movie could culminate into this song and could feel really connected with the film. Um, you know, something where it was an extension of the ideas of the movie, but brought into song form with lyrics that, that felt like they were telling you something about the film. Um, but not directly, you know, not overtly. So it could still have its own character. Um, and John Val and I were, uh, you know, we're huge fans of Sarah Brown. So uh, when we reached out to her and she and she loved the movie and and she was really excited to to collaborate on this, um, it was, uh, you know, we really just couldn't believe our luck. We were so happy. And uh, Sarah and I had the chance to really collaborate closely. We worked uh, initially. We were actually traveling. I was in Italy at the time, and she was in the u s. and then she went to Spain. And so we were sort of like, conversing you know uh it was very international initial collaboration um but then we were able to both be in new york at the same time and we uh worked here in my studio together um and it came together um really quickly actually i think we were we were really on the same page with how we wanted the song to feel and her voice so amazing um and uh yeah that's how so that's kind of how it came together we wanted it to feel you know i had um initially created a demo of, uh, sort of themes from the movie, which were, uh, which could create a a framework for evolving into a song. Um, and Sarah was inspired by those and evolved those. and, And it was this very kind of organic back and forth where we created something which feels like the Thematic elements from the, from the movie, but which is its own entity. You know, um, it's not just taking the themes from the movie and turning them into a song. It's really, um, it's really this evolution. Uh, so we, you know, we we're just so happy that it all came together and, um, and it was really exciting getting the chance to collaborate with her.
0: That's fantastic. That's great. Uh, the song is really, really great. It plays over the end credits of the film and, um, Uh, just diverting uh, a little bit now from battle of the Sexus and getting a little bit of a bit of a peek into the mind of Nicholas Patel. Um, Have there been any uh, film scores uh, either from this year, maybe towards the end of last year you had a chance to catch up with uh, anything that you particularly enjoyed or found uh,
1: inspiring at all? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I love uh, getting the chance to to hear other scores. I will say over the past year um, my, my, time to myself to be able to uh, explore other things has been somewhat limited but as an example i mean i think the you know mika levy's score to jackie is absolutely magnificent right isn't it
0: unnervingly
1: brilliant i, I think it's really in, oh yeah i think it's so inspirational and i think that um again you know one of the things that's so exciting about movies is what's possible and i think that uh listening to her score for jackie um I think it really opens up whole whole avenues for people um to be inspired by and to think about the you know just just artistically what's possible for film scores so um you know I think compositionally it's beautiful um but I think aesthetically it's also exciting because um, it shows the the massive range of possible directions that that a score could take um so I would say that's one that really jumps out at me is as something um, from the past twelve months that I was just really really struck by.
0: Yep, we haven't figured out everything yet. There's always possibilities to explore. That's for sure.
1: Absolutely. What yeah. what
0: possibilities are you currently uh, exploring right now? What upcoming projects are you working on?
1: Well, I actually have I have quite a few upcoming projects. I um I can't really talk about them. <laughs> well, it, but, how about this uh, then?
0: I'll tell you what, uh, you're in post-production on, uh, Ocean's, yeah. y- yes, you're, you're in post-production of Ocean's 8 right now, correct? Yes,
1: yes. Okay.
0: And so, I no, I am, I, uh, I
1: can't, yeah, I can't, I can't really talk about it, but, um, but yeah, I am working on Ocean's 8 right now, um, and, uh, and I have other, um, I have quite a few films actually over the next 12 months, um, uh, that I'll be working on as well. I think, think in the near term, uh, I may be able to start to sort of announce a couple new, uh, new projects, um, that'll be happening. But, uh, but at this exact moment, I can't quite do that yet.
0: (laughs) That's totally fair. Totally fair. And I'm just really curious with the way, uh, how the entertainment industry is kind of morphing and changing so much right now. Um, I was also, I was just curious if television, uh, has popped in your mind, you know, scoring for Mm -hmm. a whole series, a limited series, whatever the case may be.
1: Actually, I have worked on, um, a, uh, a television show, um, and, uh, I, w- it's, uh, Adam McKay, uh, is doing, um, an HBO show, uh, called Succession. So, uh, I worked on the pilot for that and, um, it's going to be a series next year. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to collaborate with him on that. So, um, I haven't really done Uh, much TV in the past, but TV, you know, growing up, I I was, you know, TV themes and TV music was always something that was, you know, sort of ever-present on my musical mind. Mm -hmm. There were such great themes in the 80s on TV, and, um, you know, I, yeah, it's definitely a form that's so um, important right now. I mean, television is actually um, a major part, I think, of the cultural conversation um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to to approach that. It's a different, I think it's a different structure though, uh, from film, where uh, I'm curious to to think about the ways in which themes or musical ideas can exist over a much longer stretch of. Time actually, you know, it's it's a much. If you take a series as a whole, it's actually a much larger form than than a movie.
0: Yeah, I look at raman Jawadi's work on on Game of Thrones as a prime example of themes developed uh, early on, and then it just variations, expansions, and introducing new themes and clashing them together, and how it can just simply evolve over time. And it's still the same themes, uh, but yet the work continues to just be yes. constantly brilliant. So it's a very, very exciting uh, field and time for sure. Um, okay. That'll pretty much uh, wrap up the amount of time that uh, that we have here right now. I want to just say personally on behalf of all of our listeners, myself and the team over here at Next Best Picture, thank you so much, Nick, for making the time once again to be on the show here.
1: Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm so honored and excited to be here and it's great to talk to you again. I can't believe it's, already been about you know 12 months uh, since I guess we last looked but um, but yeah great to great to talk to you as always
0: absolutely and be sure to check out Battle of the Sexes everyone currently playing in limited release at the time of this recording opening wide September 29th and you've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast you can subscribe to us on iTunes SoundCloud Google Play TuneIn Stitcher player fm and cast box be sure to leave us a review on itunes you guys are the best we want to hear your feedback and know what you think of the show and we will see you all next time